New COVID data neighborhood by neighborhood. We want to get more vaccination done in those neighborhoods. The worst hotspots and new punishment for those who won't pay COVID fines. A damning report from the World Health Organization. Far too many countries believed it would not affect them. The global failures that made the pandemic worse. And eyes open to anti-Asian racism. As they burned our Chinatowns down and spit on our grandmas at bus stops, we stayed quiet. The creative forces behind a powerful new PSA. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A damning report into the global response to the COVID-19 pandemic concludes the disaster could have been avoided. The review found that a lack of decisive leadership early on allowed the virus to spread out of control. And as Ted Chernecki reports, experts say if we don't learn from these mistakes, it could happen again. For eight months, an independent review panel has been studying the systemic failures that led to a worldwide pandemic that the report concludes needn't have happened. The report says the World Health Organization was and is underfunded and lacks enforcement power, but it scarcely touches on its own mistakes. To blame the rest of the world for not listening when in fact they were listening, they were listening to what was being said, and they were not taking action because they were they were hearing that this was a local situation in China. Meanwhile, there was plenty of blame to go around. February was a wasted month. Despite clear warnings, far too many countries believed it would not affect them. It describes vaccine distribution as blatantly unjust and not strategic. There was also a global winner-takes-all scramble to secure the personal protective equipment, the therapeutics and other supplies. As mathematicians who study the spread of a virus know, timing is very important. What's really striking there is just the, the length of time that passed between you know, fairly significant outbreaks occurring in different countries uh, and travel restrictions being put in place to prevent the spread of the uh, disease from one country to another. What the World Health Organization is asking for in power and influence to stop the next pandemic might be a tough sell internationally. But science tells us it doesn't take much to change an outcome. Even a small amount of influence and just speeding the process up could have made um, a big difference uh, through the early phases and that, that would have had a knock-on effect um, to today. The report concludes COVID was a wake-up call. The world now needs to commit to clear targets, additional resources, and stronger coordinated leadership. We've been warned. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Newly released neighborhood-level COVID-19 data clearly points to what has now become the crux of BC's battle against the pandemic. Much of the focus now shifting to a number of hot spots where the race is on between mass vaccination and the still rapid spread of the virus. John Hua reports. If vaccination clinics pop up, they will come. All right. So far, easy central access and expanded age groups has been BC's main approach in addressing COVID-19 hotspots. These pop-up clinics didn't break down those accessibility barriers that already exist for people that already are having trouble getting vaccinated. Newly released and long-awaited COVID-19 data now shows at a neighborhood level. You can throw more vaccine at a hotspot community. That doesn't necessarily mean it will curb transmission. There has to be flexibility and um, vaccine delivery and healthcare delivery in these neighborhoods to kind of meet people where they're at. 
According to the latest numbers from the BC CDC, which shows COVID-19 test positivity and vaccination coverage by community, when you combine the two, it becomes clear. Some of the worst hotspots like Surrey and East Vancouver also have the lowest vaccination rates. There are tons of um, um, diversity in the populations that live in these areas. Some segments of these areas also um, deal with poverty and they deal with substance use. With these gaps identified, health authorities are looking at new ways of getting their message across to these groups. Working with community organizations to hear about what are the specific challenges with the a process that we have for immunizations. Whether it's better messaging in different languages, pop-up clinics in safe cultural places, or simply extending vaccination clinic hours, now is the time to adapt. People who might find it difficult to, um, you know, register for their vaccine appointment and make the appointment because they, you know, need to be at their job. So while the mass vaccination method has its place, it's clear there also needs to be a much more tailored approach to boost the number of vaccinations in these COVID hotspot neighborhoods. John Hua, Global News. Now let's take a look at today's numbers. We have 600 new cases for a total now in B.C., of 137,223. 5,887 of those cases are active. 423 people are in hospital, 141 patients in the ICU. Sadly, we have seen three more deaths, including one person in their 30s. We'll bring in Keith Baldry now with a couple of developments on the AstraZeneca front. Keith, BC is now going to hold what's left of the AstraZeneca shots for second doses and despite thinking we wouldn't be getting much more of that brand of vaccine, a big shipment is expected next week. Yes, indeed. Late this afternoon, uh, public health officials announced that the remaining AstraZeneca doses, about 40,000 of them, will now be held for second dose purposes. The exceptions are anyone who's got an appointment already at a pharmacy to get AstraZeneca, that can go ahead, but that's a relatively small number of people. As you mentioned, Chris, we are getting more AstraZeneca next week because Canada is getting a big shipment. Take a look at the numbers as they unfold nationally. First of all, 655,000 doses coming to Canada. BC gets 13% or so. That works out to almost 90 80,000, 89,000 or so. And again, the doses that do come in will likely be used for second dose purposes only. In terms of uh, AstraZeneca versus the other vaccines, not a big player in BC. Only 270,000 people in BC so far have got AstraZeneca shots. The vast majority get Pfizer. In fact, in May and June, it really doesn't matter what happens with AstraZeneca because we're getting more than 2 million uh, doses of uh, Pfizer and perhaps a half million doses of Moderna. What's going to be interesting, though, is when those other AstraZeneca doses come in, now that they're no longer going to be first dose, will the gap between the first dose and second dose for AstraZeneca uh, people who get those vaccines, will that shorten than the four months? And it's conceivable that it will because there's sort of be a different queue for AstraZeneca than for Pfizer and Moderna. We'll see how that unfolds in the coming weeks. Seems likely. Okay, thanks very much, Keith. The B.C. government is being questioned again on its plans for the B.C.-Alberta border and whether warning signs are enough to keep non-essential travellers away, especially now that the B.C. Centre for Disease Control is warning the risk of transmission from the North American COVID hotspot is high. Aaron MacArthur reports. It's hard not to notice them. In Cranbrook, the Alberta plates stick out. People concerned that travel between the two provinces is still too high. Well, they, 
they shouldn't be traveling here for nothing. We're kind of hoping that everybody would just stay home and we can see the other side of COVID a little bit more quickly. The latest data from the BC CDC shows that concern is warranted. Alberta has the highest transmission rates in the country, 3.3 times the rate of British Columbia. The latest data states in plain text the potential for importation from Alberta into B.C. is high. Yet, the provincial government still refusing to put control measures at the highways that cross into Alberta. We monitor that situation. We make our decisions based on the advice from the provincial health officer. While governments across the country have managed to impose checkpoints between provinces, B.C.'s roadblocks beyond hope, are limited to restrict internal travel. The opposition wants to know why British Columbians are being put at risk. Why is there one set of rules for traveling around for non-essential travel in British Columbia for British Columbians and nothing but a highway sign at the Alberta border? The message to Albertans does seem to be sinking in, though. While there are still lots of essential travel, Anecdotally, the mayor of Sparwood says there are fewer cars on Highway 3. There haven't been as many recreational vehicles coming across the border, and so we're hoping that people have taken heed of the warnings given by the provincial government. The current restrictions in B.C. will last until at least the May-long weekend. Many people wondering if the slowdown in cross-border traffic will continue past then. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And people who get a COVID-19 fine and think they don't have to pay for it better think again. Today, the province proposed new legislation to crack down on offenders and make them more accountable. Richard Zussman joins us with those details. Richard, there are already a lot of outstanding fines. What's the province doing to collect? Yeah, there sure are, Chris. More than a million dollars worth of COVID-related fines have been handed out. Just 13% of those fines have actually been paid. So today, the province introducing legislation that, if passed, will come into effect on July 1st. And if you don't pay your fine and you need to renew your driver's license, you won't be able to. And so that how is how the province is trying to crack down on this. There are concerns that people uh, will go about their business without paying those fines. Let's have a listen now to Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth. It is frustrating for all of us that there are some people who think the rules don't apply to them. Well, they do. And we all want to see people paying their fines, especially when their actions have put others at risk. So those include fines for social gatherings, for holding social gatherings, for traveling out of your health region within British Columbia. And if you don't have a driver's license and you try to get one and you have an outstanding COVID-19 fine, you won't be able to get that license either. So this is the province's way. Yes, they increase collections. Now they're taking one more step to try to crack down on these COVID rule breakers. We'll see if it works. Thanks very much, Richard. Pressing pause on the white-hot real estate market. Many sales are completing with no subjects, putting buyers at huge risk. Some say it's time for a reset. The call for a mandatory cool-down period next on the NewsHour. The frantic search for a fisherman lost on the Fraser River. What his fiancée says about the help from friends and strangers coming up on the NewsHour. And a craftsman creates beautiful bowls to help children with cancer. That's later. 
Right now, though, it's likely no surprise if you've been trying to enter the white-hot housing market in recent months. New data shows home prices have increased and listings are down. The multiple listing service reports a 312% increase in sales compared to April of 2020. The average price, almost $950,000, is up nearly 30% from 2020, when the average home cost $730,000. It's due to the pandemic, as well as a drop in the number of listings. April's total active residential listings were down 14.5% compared to last year. The BC Real Estate Association says those listings are starting to pick up, but it will take some time before the markets and home prices balance out. And with housing sales hitting new highs throughout the pandemic, some advocates are calling for a cooling off period. Time for buyers to be able to do their due diligence on the homes they're purchasing. Our Consumer Matters reporter Andrea has been exploring this issue and joins us with more. And Thanks, Sophie. In B.C., there is a seven-day rescission period for new and pre-sale homes, but not for resale properties. And some say the province needs to change that. Supporters say it would help ease the pressure so many are feeling in the current housing climate. The uh, most important thing is... John Grasty is a real estate agent and homeowner advocate. He says he would like to see a cooling-off period for resale properties similar to legislation currently in place for new and pre-sale homes where a purchaser has a right to rescind their signed contract within seven days of making that agreement. Oh, it would make them feel much more comfortable. But Grassy wonders where the political will is to make real change for consumers. The Real Estate Council of BC, which is responsible for regulating real estate professionals and a resource for consumers says it's up to home buyers to choose their risk tolerance in today's market. It's about being aware of how to get the best out of that decision and if consumers choose not to put subjects on an offer it does increase the risk. In addition the RECBC says the licensed real estate agent is obligated to act in their client's best interest. They need to be advising their client of the risks of a no subject offer. The uh, CEO of the, uh, of, of the Real Estate Council tell us realtors that we are the first line for consumer protection, but they aren't providing us legislation to make sure that we are doing the utmost we possibly can. We requested an interview with Minister of Finance, Selena Robinson, to ask if the province is considering a cooling-off period for resale properties or to make home inspections mandatory. We were told the minister was unavailable. Instead, we received this statement, which reads in part that the province recognizes a number of external factors affecting the market. These factors are contributing to increased housing sales, prices and practices that are having a negative effect on prospective buyers. We are closely monitoring the housing market to see if these trends continue and we will continue to use the tools at our disposal as needed. So yes, this is your dining For now area. it seems future home buyers in this hyperactive market can either wait or assess the risk of a subject-free offer. Information is key and being armed with the understanding of the risks well, for they consumers are. I, I think you would talk to any prospective buyer who realizes the risk of no subjects. The fact remains is that they feel that they can't put down an offer with subjects or they're not going to get the property. So how do we curb that? How do we better protect the consumer is the question. I think the information that we're providing is a strong protection. There is always uh, something at the end if, if, uh, if someone can be patient. Uh, is patience enough? Uh, that's, that's all there is right now.
And the Real Estate Council of BC also told us it is hearing more complaints from buyers who are confused and have concerns over the pace of the current market. It says complaints have doubled in the last quarter. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Anne. Still ahead, when staying silent is no longer an option. They've mistaken our silence for compliance. Voices rising up against anti-Asian racism next. And later, it sounded a lot like an emergency, but it wasn't. The apology from Emergency Info BC coming up. Steady traffic in both directions over here at the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge, with just minimal delays further east on Highway 1 through the Burnaby Lake stretch. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. Jewison in Global One at the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. Considered among the regions for its spike in crime. But Asian Canadians are speaking out in an eye-opening new campaign. Kylie Stanton reports. Just watch and listen. We have never been a loud people. Our elders always taught us that actions speak louder than words, so we learn to keep our heads down, keep our grades up, keep our kin close, keep our mouths shut. I wonder... It's hard to believe something so powerful has come from so, so much pain. So we stayed quiet. The whole idea was just to get people talking. Um, and I think that the, the message that they really tried to get across through the visuals was just this idea of unity and this idea of like, you know, we are here and, you know, we won't be pushed around any longer. As they burned our Chinatowns down and spit on our grandmas at bus stops, we stayed quiet. While Christopher Jie wrote and narrated the anti-racism PSA, the project involves many familiar faces and voices, all calling on allies to confront the historical and present injustices facing the Asian community. It's nothing new, and for those who have faced this kind of Injustice throughout their life is nothing new. According to an Insights West poll last month, 43% of Asian British Columbians polled have experienced some form of racism in the past year. 87% say it has gotten worse since the start of the pandemic. The fear, the anxiety, the the collective you know experiences that we all shared is just overwhelming. The Chinese-Canadian National Council for Social Justice backed the production as part of the face race campaign. Every kid who has ever tried to pull their nose bridge to make it taller. Every time they mocked us because our eyes are smaller. This is for our elders both alive and remembered. An open challenge to all Canadians to stand up to racism amid the COVID-19 crisis. To come together at the same time to name the issue, to call out and to demand change. When you are no longer in your motherland, does your mother tongue still sing of home? For Gina Chong, a victim of an anti-Asian racist rant, that can only happen if the tradition of silence is broken. Following the incident in April, she created her own video, hoping it will resonate with all Canadians. We do need to spread the word. People need to know that this is happening in the community and something needs to change. We need to be able to let people share their stories and speak out about this. We are here. 
You've been here. These words are a collective story, and the moral of it is they are united and silent no more. If that's the one thing people come away with when they watch it, then I think we've done our job. So just watch and listen, and most importantly, see. And to the ones who say we don't belong, it's them who should open their eyes. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, to mark the end of Ramadan and International Nurses Day, Vancouver Sufi community is sending a special thank you to frontline health care workers and a gift for those in need. Care packages of food, along with handmade face masks and scrub caps, were delivered to the Greater Vancouver Food Bank and for the staff at four long-term care facilities. For Sufis, the end of Ramadan is the perfect time to give back and say a special thank you to the workers who've been on the front lines throughout this pandemic. In times of crisis, uh, volunteers from all around the world came together and we initiated this in our communities. We did so before the pandemic as well, but the extent that we have been active this past year has greatly increased uh, in efforts to give back to our communities, uh, give a sense of hope um, and love to our communities in this time of um, uncertainty. And similar donations are being presented by Sufi communities in 35 other cities around the world. Volunteers are scouring the river where a man went missing. And I really just hope I can find him. The message from his fiance to all those trying to help. And with an outbreak in deadly gang violence, some say now is the wrong time to be disbanding a program that puts officers in schools. Join Global BC as we gene up this May to support BC Children's Hospital Foundation. Grab those jeans, post that pic, and donate at geneup.ca. And let's help BC kids get out of their hospital gowns and back into their jeans. Traffic is nice and steady in both directions over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but do keep in mind that ongoing upgrades have lane closures in both directions from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Sussex Insurance are your auto insurance experts. Get more, save more with Stratford Private Auto. Ask for details on your next renewal. Find your nearest location at sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Human error is being blamed on an unexpected test of the emergency broadcast system this afternoon. The unscheduled test went off just afternoon, sending texts and noise alerts to British Columbians' phones, radios and televisions. Emergency Info BC tweeted a few minutes later saying it was an accidental rebroadcast of last week's test. The alert ready system is in place for large-scale disasters and emergencies where loss of life is possible. An update now on a hit and run in Burnaby in March that killed a 19-year-old man. RCMP arrested a Vancouver man, also 19 years old, at his home today, and they seized a vehicle at the same time. The hit and run happened in the early hours of March 26. The man was found with serious injuries in the area of McPherson Avenue and Marine Drive. He died several days later in hospital. At the time, police said there had been a confrontation with people in three vehicles. Charges will be forwarded to the B.C. Prosecution Service and the investigation continues. 
Residents of a rural area near Penticton are upset with police after the discovery of two bodies on Monday. The victims of what's believed to be a targeted killing were found in a remote area near Naramata. Shortly afterward, police were on the hunt for two men who were seen acting suspiciously, cutting through orchards and jumping fences. Locals are upset that they weren't told by police that they were possibly looking for suspects in a double murder. If there's two people roaming around that are shady and there's two dead people in the bush, I think that there should be a little bit more information to the community. This investigation was very rapid, it was evolving, and we always work to ensure that the information that we share publicly is, uh, is accurate, it's correct, it's contextualized, um, but we also need to make sure that we don't compromise any police operations. Police believe they have identified one of the victims, but they aren't releasing any names yet. With so many teenagers involved in deadly gang shootings in Metro Vancouver recently, questions are being raised about whether now is the right time to be taking police out of schools. As Jordan Armstrong reports, a former VPD gang squad member says cancelling school liaison programs is only asking for trouble. A wave of shootings, many involving teenagers, has swept across the region in recent weeks. At the same time, the Vancouver School Board has axed its school liaison officer program. After next month, VPD officers will no longer be working inside high schools. Absolutely no sense. I, I just don't get it. Doug Spencer is a retired VPD gang squad officer. Now that the gang war has exploded, he feels the board has a responsibility to revisit its decision. I think it was a, a misguided, woke kind of idea, right? Nobody... Everybody's against racism, right? There's no police department I know of that's more multicultural, diverse than Vancouver. Ending the SLO program was tabled after the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis last year. An independent survey showed support for the program in schools, but also a great deal of concern from racialized and marginalized students. Police in Vancouver continue to over police Indigenous and Black people in comparable ratios to other parts of uh, the country. Reform. Don't cancel the program, say supporters. They point to former students like Ali Chaudhry, who credits the SLO at his school for keeping him out of gangs. Let's work together, and if there's an option to take away the uniform, let's do it. But to completely eliminate the program is a slap in the face to the rest of us who support the program. We asked the Vancouver School Board for an interview, but no one would speak to us on camera. Instead, we received this statement attributed to Board Chair Carmen Cho. Quote, gang deterrence continues to be of utmost importance and trustees with staff will be engaging with police services, community groups, and other resources in the coming months. They're on their own. When those kids show up, the little gangsters with guns in front of their school, they're going to go out there with their HB pencil and their ruler to deal with these guys, right? It, it'll be a miracle if none of them get hurt. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. A huge search today on the Fraser River in Chilliwack for a missing fisherman. Friends and family of Abbotsford's Damien Dutrasac desperately hoping he managed to make it to shore somewhere after his boat capsized. Amadagahi reports. I really just hope I can find him. And my whole life plan. Five days they've been searching, and still, there's no sign of Carissa McLean's fiancé, Damien Dutrasac. 
our last conversation was him just saying how excited he was to get married and how it didn't matter if anybody else and it was about him and I. He and a friend were fishing on the Fraser River near the mouth of the Sumas River last Friday when something went wrong. Their small boat capsized, according to police. One of the men somehow managed to swim to shore, but 29-year-old Dutrasak hasn't been seen since. Despite extensive initial searches by Chilliwack RCMP, and search and rescue. The RCMP says the water is too treacherous to continue searching. But friends and volunteers have continued the effort. When you don't know where they are, like you don't know what happened to them. Carissa McLean feels helpless, empty. She described their engagement as the most beautiful moment of her life. They had plans to get married in October. It's nothing that you can ever prepare yourself for. Probably the worst thing I'll ever have to go through. And she still isn't ready to think her fiancé may not be coming home. I don't know if I could ever give up looking for him. I know he wouldn't give up if it was me. Amadagahi, Global News. The B.C. government is moving to get people living with ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, one step closer to access to local clinical trials. Advocates for the 400 people in B.C. living with ALS have been pushing for local clinical trials, saying the only way to access them right now is to travel to Toronto, Hamilton, Montreal, or the U.S. Today, Health Minister Adrian Dix announced another $2 million of government funding to add to the more than $5 million raised by the ALS Society of B.C., to establish an ALS research professorship at UBC. And for the first time in nearly a decade, aim to lead ALS clinical trials right here in BC. These ongoing trials will allow more British Columbians with ALS to participate in cutting edge research closer to home. ALS is a disease that can strike anybody at any time. Your life changes from the moment that you're diagnosed. And often, access to new medical resources becomes one's primary inspiration to keep fighting the disease. Thank you for joining us in our fight against ALS. We also have some other- The government and UBC say there's still a lot of work to be done, including hiring staff, and getting Health Canada approval, but they say the research will go ahead as soon as possible. Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart is responding to criticism of his plan to decriminalize drugs in the city. Activists say while the idea is good, the city's threshold amounts for decriminalized possession, two grams for opioids, three grams for cocaine, one gram for crack cocaine, and 1.5 grams of amphetamine are too low. They say that and other problems with the program could have been avoided if more drug users and advocates had been involved in the planning process. Stewart says there has been public input, but he says he's willing to continue talking about the proposal. We've had, uh, you know, I think some some uh, opposition to what's been proposed. It's always hard when you put numbers on paper to for people to kind of think through what that means in their daily life. And I really look forward to um, more concrete proposals from uh, Vandu and other organizations as to their proposed thresholds. 
Stewart says he'll be meeting with the Vancouver area network of drug users and other organizations to get more input. He says the plan isn't final yet. More to come, including a small BC business serving up success. One day I sat down with my mom and I told her, what if we started selling charcuterie boards? How charcuterie came up with the right plan to survive the pandemic. And the craftsmen creating Baba's Boo Boo Bowls, how this cancer fundraiser got its name. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A lot of people woke up with rain today, but it's always a good plan to hold your judgment because it didn't stick around through the afternoon. It looks beautiful out there now. Here's Christy. That's right. As we advertised, just a small wave and just enough to sort of keep everything wet. The plants are happy today, that's for sure. Let's have a quick look at the temperatures for today. We did warm up to about 18 degrees near the water, which was very nice. And as we headed into the interior regions, temperatures were similar. Uh, these are seasonal, but as we head into the next couple of days, you're really going to feel the heat. We're talking about low 20s. Jet stream driving into the north coast, and that's why we are going to remain dry for the next few days. It's not until Monday that we'll start to see that jet stream slumped down towards us, bringing in a little bit more cloud cover. But in terms of significant rain, not anything in the forecast until Wednesday. And even at that, there is some discrepancies between the models. So we'll refine the forecast as we get closer. In the meantime, enjoy all the sunshine. There is a slight chance of an isolated shower in the interior regions tomorrow afternoon, just daytime heating showers. But overall, you can expect sunshine. And for Metro Vancouver, we will see highs reach 22 degrees away from the water Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Tons of sunshine as well. And as I mentioned, we may see a little bit more cloud cover on Monday, but that's uh, it's still looking dry at this point. And I'll leave you with tonight's central windows weather window. This is Paul Lake, which is near Kamloops, and Ed Hennon sending us that one stunning shot. I would love to be on that deck right now. You know, that's where I'd like to be right now. Hasem is going to take credit mm -hmm. for that, you know. Because his name is Paul? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Paul <laughs> oh, Hasem Lake. Let's rename it. It's a beautiful <laughs> spot. I love it. Very nice. Thanks, Christy. Well, the Vancouver senior has turned his hobby into a successful fundraiser for BC Children's Hospital. That's right. Nirmal Singh takes scraps of wood and turns them into these beautiful handmade bowls. And as Neetu Garcha reports, since December, the sale of Baba's Boo Boo Bowls has raised more than $20,000 to help sick children. The press of a button at the crack of dawn is how this daily labor of love begins for 80-year-old Nirmal Singh Fogel. Sometime I start at 7 o'clock in the morning and finish 7, 8. Mostly I pick up some wood from the forest. Using scrap and donated wood, he started making these beautiful bowls six months ago. A pastime in place of his usual volunteering with the Canadian Cancer Society and Meals on Wheels, now cancelled due to the pandemic. But this project has taken on a life of its own since he decided to sell the bowls by donation. People give us a good response. Are you surprised that there's so much interest? Yeah. So the goal started off as $5,000 and then it became 10000 then twenty, and we're, we're nearing that $20,000 mark. So I think, I think the next goal just has to be more. 
His grandson and daughter-in-law run this Instagram page where people from around the world have been ordering bowls after making a contribution to the BC Children's Hospital Foundation. The name derived from the desire to help kids heal and... All the wood kind of has boo-boos. It's not, it's not perfect wood. There's a lot more wood in here. He wasn't making bowls before, so he had to learn that completely from scratch off of YouTube. But the craft itself he learned from his own grandfather in India, where the family ran a carpentry business. Now from inside this small Vancouver garage, he's passing on his woodworking skills and wisdom to an entire community. I feel happy to do something for somebody. Promising never to be turned off from using his gifts to give back. I never die. You never get tired? No. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Vancouver. Wow, those are gorgeous. Beautiful work, Mr. Singh. Wow. It looks very soothing and like meditative to do that too. That's right. The workshop often is, I, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. I always envy people who can do things like that. Yeah. Because it's a <laughs> skill I do not possess. And neither do I. Yeah. My way of getting those things is going to the store. Yeah, or going online and raising money for children. Exactly. That's right. Your excuse is also you don't have the tools. Like, who has a lathe at home? So we're good. (laughs) I think I have a Phillips screwdriver. (laughs) I have one of those. And one of those Allen keys to build IKEA furniture. I think I have one of those, too. Okay. Um, It took a while for the BC Hockey League to convince the government. We did a lot of those stories. To let them run a short season. But they eventually did. And they finished their season with no players getting COVID. But you can say it all you want. You have to actually prove you can do it. And they did. And the BCHL is proud of what they were able to do under immense pressure to succeed. Good job by everyone involved there. Also, a BC entrepreneur who survived war in Afghanistan now finding a way to survive the pandemic. I really need one of those things. What is it? You I know those little rubber, those little rubber things you put on your finger to, to move papers. Oh yeah. Because I, I don't want to do this anymore. Those, I need one of those too. I don't want to do that anymore. Buy a bunch. It's against the law now to do that. I think. True. Okay, so uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps are in Minnesota tonight to uh, play a team that hasn't won a game yet. Minnesota is 0-4. Although Minnesota really hasn't played like a winless team normally plays. They've had some bad luck. The uh, Caps made a change in their starting lineup. They put in Bruno Gaspar tonight. So let's see how Vancouver does. They're in the first half, and here's a great chance. Remember, Vancouver hasn't scored a goal off the run of play yet, but they have a good chance here. Caicedo around the keeper. Christian Dahomey is open, and he kicks a field goal instead of scoring a goal. Why haven't they scored any goals in run of play, Squire? That's a very good question, Chris. (laughs) Not even Marcus Santos has the answer. There's a nice chance, too, for Lucas Cavallini, but he hasn't been able to uh, score a goal and run a play either. Nobody in a white cap uniform has. But they have scored set-piece goals, and they are above 500, and they are, I think, fourth in the West right now. Okay. With the uh, Canadian playoff matchups all decided in the NHL, it'll be Habs and Leafs, Jets and Oilers. You would think that maybe Connor McDavid would like to take these meaningless regular season games off. Get ready for the postseason. Uh-uh. 
He wants to keep playing. Although today he played a season-low 15 minutes and 12 seconds, but did have two assists against Montreal, which puts his points per game right now at 1.889. He's eight points short of the magical two points per game level. That's been done 16 times in NHL history, but only by two players. And it's a pretty easy guess who the two players are. Wayne Gretzky did it 10 times. Mario did it six times. So in order for McDavid to do that, he'd have to score eight points in his final game against the Canucks. Well, I mean, maybe, but I doubt it. Uh, Connor McDavid there, Montreal and Edmonton went to overtime again. Chris uh, makes that Cole Caulfield couldn't score on his shot. It ends with Dreisaitl to Dominic Cahoon, who makes a McDavid-like move, and Edmonton gets a 4-3 win over the Hats. Seattle Seahawks were given their 2021 schedule this afternoon. They'll have five primetime games. It's a 17-game season this year, but the Hawks will have nine road games and eight home games. It's not an easy sched. Combined opponents, if you take last year's numbers for Seattle this year, will be at 5'11", just over 500. And based on that, the Seahawks' schedule is ranked 12th hardest in the NFL. Here are the home games for Seattle. The home schedule actually isn't too bad. The Seahawks could pile up a lot of wins at Lumen Field with this schedule. I mean, they should be able to beat Tennessee, you would think. The Rams might be tough. New Orleans is not going to be the same without Drew Brees. Jacksonville's rebuilding. And you see the rest there. Chicago and Detroit. Well, Detroit's a team you should be able to beat at home, you would think. The uh, BC Hockey League shortened its season, and that shortened season came to an end last night. 20-game schedule for each team. Uh, despite the minimal number of games, the uh, league still enabled 52 players to earn NCAA Division I scholarships with more coming. As Mac a huge hit, he absolutely ran over Pakalak. It may have been an abbreviated season for the BC Hockey League, but pod hockey proved to be successful on and off the ice. Oh, but two of the BCHL's 18 franchises taking to the ice in five separate hockey bubbles in what will go down as one of the most trying and rewarding campaigns in league history due to COVID. Since he scores! We had 160 games played through the pod season. Um, no, no, not a single case uh, with one of our players. Over 2,000 tests we, we, um, we administered throughout that period and only one, one positive test in a support staff. I, that is huge kudos to the players and the coaches that, that really made sure they were watching the, their details the throughout the season. Of Hamming and a one draw off the face-off scores! A six-week regular season void of any playoffs and no championship trophy handed out may not seem like a lot until you look at the bigger picture. The league, its franchises, players, and everyone involved proving hockey can be safely played during a pandemic. It's the ideal blueprint moving forward because we still have no idea what the rest of 2021 is going to look like with COVID still very much around. I think it was critical that we were able to say to the provincial health officers and, and the health authorities that we can do this. And, uh, you know, you can say it all you want. You have to actually prove you can do it. And our mandate from, from day one, once we got shut down in November, was to give these players an opportunity to showcase themselves for, for scholarships. And we did that. Ahead for Milburn. The BCHL says the financial losses from staging its pandemic season is well north of $10 million. The league plans on applying for government grants to help offset their losses, and it's also planning on returning to a full 58-game season come fall, hopefully with fans in the stands. We're operating under the impression that 
uh, you know, with the, the way the vaccinations are going and everybody's supposed to have two doses by next uh, September, that will be able to operate a normal season, yes. Good for them. Good job. And the Western Hockey League as well. Their season's finishing up tonight. No doubt. Good for those kids, too. Thanks, Squire. Up next, the BC entrepreneur who survived and thrived through the pandemic. Well, many BC businesses have struggled, some even gone under during the pandemic. Others have found a way to adapt and to thrive. Case in point, an Afghan immigrant launched a food business shortly before the restrictions, but soon found a niche market for those holding virtual events. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, the owner is now looking to expand. Spicy salami, prosciutto, manchego and grapes. Mmm, just some of the tasty treats carefully placed in charcuterie boxes. Add in some olives, crackers, and maybe some chocolate. Delicious. The best thing about food is it brings people together. Meet Sadaf Rahimi, owner of Charcuterie Vancouver, a business she started less than two years ago. One day I sat down with my mom and I told her, what if we started selling charcuterie boards? Rahimi's custom-made platters, which start at $35, were a huge hit, popular for birthdays, weddings, and corporate events. But Rahimi's dream nearly collapsed due to the pandemic. She quickly shifted gears. We decided to launch the individual um, mini boxes that would feed just one. And then next thing you know, everyone was ordering them for their virtual events. We were living in poverty. It was just a really, really hard time. Rahimi, whose family escaped Afghanistan in 1995, recently won Small Business BC's award for Best Immigrant Entrepreneur. A huge honor for the Vancouverite, who plans to open a storefront in Kitsilano this summer. We came out of this much stronger than we could have ever possibly imagined. So I just wanted to say thank you to everyone that has supported us in our journey and our dreams. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And now I know what I want for dinner tonight. What a story, no <laughs> doubt. We're, we're, we're all salivating here. Uh, okay, last word on weather before we go, Christy. Sure, so lots of sunshine tomorrow. We will see a little bit of cloud cover in the morning, but overall you can expect hot, sunny conditions for the next several days. It's really not until Monday that we're expecting a little bit more cloud cover. All right, enjoy that sunshine, and thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night, all.